Hi, welcome to my podcast, where today I'll talk about how Jesus continued his work despite his family's worries and wishes. My name is Tim Harner. I am a Christian author and apologist, a graduate of Houghton College and of Harvard Law School, where I was an editor of the Harvard Law Review. As an attorney, my primary role has been as a general counsel. Therefore, I call the six books that I've written the General Counsel series. The first four books of the series outline the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, providing scriptural backing for the final installments of the series that outline the history of America and the history of the Church Universal. I post my latest thoughts regularly on my website, timharner.com. For this podcast, please reflect on the questions. Why did the family of Jesus worry about Jesus and wish he would stop his public ministry? Why do people close to you sometimes worry about what you are doing and wish you would stop? How do you do God's will by hearing God's word and putting it into practice? How is your family a training ground and a model for touching and changing the entire world with God's justice, love, and mercy? How is your family a training ground and a model for being best friends who follow Jesus' golden rule and everything do for others what you would have them do for you? And now, as I talk about how Jesus continued his public ministry, despite the worries and wishes of his family, let's pray that the Lord will let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in the sight of the Lord our God, who is our strength and our Redeemer. Today's thoughts are based on the chapter, Despite His Family's Wishes, Jesus Continues His Work, in my book, Hoping in the Lord. The tempo and danger of Jesus' ministry were reaching a nearly unbearable pitch. The crowds were becoming so large that they interfered with Jesus' ministry. After Jesus healed a leper, perhaps the very leper who he touched when he came down from the mountainside after preaching the Sermon on the Mount, the news about Jesus spread so widely that Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. When Jesus did try to minister in a town, the crush of people was so great the people could not get through the crowd to see Jesus. For example, in Capernaum, the crowd was so great that four friends were unable to get their paralytic friend to Jesus. In desperation, they cut a hole in the roof of the house and lowered their friend to Jesus. The crowds were so large and dense that Jesus' own mother and brothers could not walk through the crowds to talk with Jesus. The danger had grown with the crowds. We have already seen that a mob in Jesus' hometown of Nazareth tried to kill him. But now those who wanted to kill Jesus were becoming more organized, determined, and powerful. After Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath, the Pharisees, the strictest religious party, went out and began to plot with the Herodians, a powerful political party, how they might kill Jesus. 
To Jesus' family, it seemed that things were getting out of hand. Undoubtedly, his mother Mary was becoming very worried about his safety. What mother does not worry about her baby boy? I am not inclined to be harsh or surprised that Mary did not fully understand what Jesus would have to go through as the Messiah. Which one of us fully grasps God's purposes in the life of another? And even though Mary had had an angel explain to her that Jesus was a very special child, she had not, as far as we know from the accounts in Scripture, been told very much, if anything, about the specifics of his life and how he was to become the Messiah. The concerns of Jesus' family broke into the open when Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. This was the final straw as far as Mary was concerned. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. I don't take this remark as a belief that Jesus was literally out of his mind. We've all said that we thought somebody was out of their mind or nuts when they were doing something we thought would get them into trouble such as riding a gigantic roller coaster or plunging down the Tower of Terror in Walt Disney World. Like any good mother, Mary was going to help her son. First, she'd get him away from the crowd. Then she'd talk some sense into him. The situation when Mary and Jesus' brothers arrived must have confirmed their worst fears. Jesus was just finishing an argument with some teachers of the law who had come down from Jerusalem. These important, educated, powerful people had just denounced Jesus. They said, He has an evil spirit. Indeed, they accused him of being possessed not just by an ordinary evil spirit, but by the leader of all evil spirits, Satan himself. Using the name Beelzebub for Satan, they said he is possessed by Beelzebub, By the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Jesus did not ignore this scathing attack. He ridiculed their wicked slander, saying, How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, He cannot stand. His end has come. It is fascinating that Jesus used this illustration of a house being divided at the precise moment when his personal house, his family, was divided. His mother and his brothers disagreed with him and wanted him to stop or at least curtail his activities. Indeed, perhaps it was that very division in his own family that brought such an illustration to mind. At any rate, Jesus could not let anyone stop or limit his ministry, not even his beloved, well-meaning mother. He must do God's will no matter how much it cost him. He must do God's will no matter how much anguish and how many divisions it caused in his own family. Jesus made this point tactfully, but firmly, when his mother and brothers arrived.
Since they could not get through the crowd to see him, they stood outside and sent someone in to call him. So the crowd sitting around him told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Jesus did not hurry away to see what they wanted. Indeed, I suspect that he knew very well what they wanted, based on some prior arguments within his family about his activities and about the turmoil and dangers he was causing. Instead, like any good teacher, Jesus asked a question. He asked, Who are my mother and my brothers? Perplexed looks probably crossed people's brows. They must have wondered what point Jesus was trying to make by this question. Then, when Jesus had their full attention, he made his point. He looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. My mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. This statement was a tactful reminder to his family that he must do God's will regardless of the costs and dangers to himself and regardless of the wishes of his family. It remains a good reminder to me as a parent. I must encourage my children to do God's will, even if I worry about the costs and dangers to them. It is also a marvelous description of our relationship to Jesus. We are like his brother, sister, and mother. Jesus doesn't have favorites based on who our parents are, which nation we come from, which sex we are, how smart we are, or how much money we have. Jesus only cares about whether we are doing God's will. And what does it mean to do God's will? What does it mean to hear God's word and put it into practice? The whole idea of doing God's will is a scary one. To me, the concept of God's will conjures up images of immense burdens of doing and not doing things. But this is the way a Pharisee approaches the idea of God's will. Jesus had a much more user-friendly idea of doing God's will, of hearing God's word and putting it into practice. To be sure, there are things we must do and not do, and sometimes we'd rather not do them, just as Jesus prayed so fervently in the Garden of Gethsemane, asking to be spared the agonies and shame of crucifixion the next day. But at its heart, Jesus taught us that doing God's will is like being in a family. Therefore, we should be like Jesus and say, Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. My mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. What does it mean to treat everyone like a brother and sister and mother? It means that we should put into practice the teachings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. For it is in our families that we come closest to implementing those ideals of the Christian life. It is in our families that we have the best chance to hear God's word and put it into practice. Therefore, in our families, we should always be peacemakers. In our families, we should not be angry with each other or say nasty derogatory things to each other. 
and our families, we should quickly settle any disputes we may have with each other. In our families, we should remain faithful to our spouses. In our families, we should give to the one who asks you and not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. And in our families, if, God forbid, we become enemies with any member of our family, we should love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Even within our immediate families, it is hard to live this way. But perhaps now you can see why it is so important that we do our very best to have families that implement the Sermon on the Mount, because our families are the training ground and the model for how Jesus envisions touching and changing the entire world with God's justice, love, and mercy. Because our families are the training ground and the model for being best friends who follow Jesus' golden rule in everything do to others what you would have them do to you. I hope you enjoyed this podcast today. If you did, please share it with a friend and find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, as well as on my website, timharner.com. My book, Hoping in the Lord, contains citations to sources, including the scriptures. Until we are together again, may the Lord bless us and keep us. May the Lord make his face to shine upon us and be gracious unto us. May the Lord turn his face toward us and give us peace.